Oh, well, after my brief sojourn of hosting solo, flying solo, flying close to the sun by myself with no parachute, producer John was back to hold my hand once again. I think we all just got mildly concerned when you were talking to yourself about Fun Fact Friday. It only took one day. Yeah. yeah, so I was like, I've got to come back to save him from himself. Welcome back. It is lovely to have you here. It is great um, to be here. Emma is still unwell, but hopefully she will be back sometime in the next couple of days. But uh, without further ado, let's launch into things, shall we? Kia ora, this is Newsable, I'm Emil. And I'm Jono, and this is What's Worth Talking About. The housing market may have hit rock bottom, so does that mean now's the time to buy? Also, is artificial intelligence the solution to reigning in social media abuse? A Russian private military group might be doing something in New Zealand's territory. And how handsome are you? Are you good looking enough to be a doll or a beer? We'll explain all all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Hey, here's a thrillingly grown-up question to ask on a Thursday morning. Has the housing market bottomed out? Is now the optimal time to buy? We are asking this because several recent reports have suggested house prices have hit their nadir and with new LVR rules coming into effect today, the landscape does appear to be changing rapidly. Susan Edmonds is Stuff's business editor and she is with us now to discuss. Kia to you. Good morning. What is the top line here, Susan? Is it true that house prices have bottomed out? Well, that's one of those things that you never really know until you're looking in hindsight, I suppose. But we are seeing that sort of momentum growing and more people saying that was probably about as low as prices were going to go. This morning, we've had that again from CoreLogic. And I mean, they have fallen a long way. They're down, well, by CoreLogic's measure, they're down 10.2% nationally, but a lot more than that in Wellington and in Auckland. Is there a possibility that people with vested interests are trying to talk this into being, or am I being too conspiratorial there? <laughs> well, I mean, that's a fair question. We have heard it from a lot of real estate agents, but we've also heard it from people who don't necessarily have that vested interest. So I think probably the weight of evidence is starting to show that things are turning. You know, interest rates probably as high as they're going to go for now. We've actually seen some come off a little bit. The pace of decline in prices has slowed quite a lot. And the big thing is that we've got this really big surge in migration and those people are going to have mm. to find somewhere to live. Yeah, I mean, let's get into sort of the un, the known unknowns here that do affect the prices of property because there are quite a few on the horizon, aren't there? Yeah, there are. And one of them is migration because we know that there's been a big surge. But one of the funny things about our migration stats is we, we don't have a clear view of who's coming in for, I think Sharon Zollner calls it a good time or a long time. So we're mm. assuming that all the people who are coming in are here for a long time, but some of them might not be. And the other thing that's really important is the election because a lot of investors are kind of, from what I can see, hanging back and waiting to see whether National Week will get in because there's this interest deductibility question. So Labor's phasing out their ability to deduct um, interest costs from their rental income to when they go to their, their tax bills. But National would reverse that, which would, especially in this high interest rate environment, would be quite a big difference to their costs. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, we also have some changes to LVRs, loan-to-value ratios, um, which are taking effect today. Can you explain, what are LVRs and what are the changes that are coming in? So the loan-to-value restrictions were first introduced as a way to uh, kind of enhance the stability of the banking sector because the idea was that they wanted to reduce the number of people that had really big mortgages compared to the value of their properties. So they kind of tweak these every time they think that things are getting 
too frothy, relatively minor changes, I would say. Banks are allowed to um, lend a little bit more of their new lending to owner-occupiers who have less than 20% equity. The investor cutoff used to be 40% and now it's 35%. What about the construction sector at the moment? Yeah, so we saw consents decline actually this month and that's, I mean, it, it was booming for a while and now it does seem to be coming off and the question that people are starting to ask is, well, is that going to be a problem? Because if people are coming into the country en masse, are we building enough houses? And for a while it looked like we were keeping up, but now maybe that's turning around. This is an interesting one. This is like a mystery stew of unknown factors and maybes and ifs and buts and minor changes aimed at making things easier for first home buyers, but relatively minor ones. So I guess, you know, if the million dollar question is, is now the time to buy, your answer seems to be, we're not really sure. Yeah, I think that's always my answer. Because I guess the last couple of years have shown us that it shouldn't be a short-term decision anyway, and you should always buy with a long-term kind of plan in place. So if you can afford it and you see a house you like, then I think it's always a good time to buy. Stuff's Business Oracle. Susan Edmonds, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Alrighty, social media and mental health is a difficult and sometimes dangerous relationship. Online bullying is pretty much everywhere, affecting all sorts of people in different ways. And that includes top athletes. So now, one of the big tennis competitions of the year, the French Open, is using AI to fight back. Uh, Senior tennis correspondent Emile Donovan has been investigating this. Uh, Emile, what's going on? Thank you for my new promotion, by the way. My my pleasure, my pleasure. So, yeah, as you mentioned, there's this big tennis tournament coming up, the French Open. It's one of the four grand slams. This, of course, brings a lot of attention and particularly online attention to the players and a lot of it is quite unsavoury you would have to say there's a lot of racist abuse a lot of homophobic abuse people can be assholes. we know this and all sports are grappling with this at the moment but the tournament administrators have done something quite novel they have turned to the power of AI to try to deal with this online bullying mental health and stress have really been kind of top of mind for tennis recently haven't they yeah particularly with Naomi Osaka the Japanese-American player who um, actually had to withdraw from several tournaments because of the uh, mental health impact that it was having on her. Players as well, besides Osaka, have frequently highlighted the abuse that they get. Also, it's a very lonely sport, tennis. You play it alone. Um, you have a very close relationship with your coach, of course, but you know it's solitary. You have to fly all over the world. You're often staying by yourself in hotel rooms all around the world. The employment conditions are not especially favourable. So, yeah, tennis is basically said to be one of the worst affected sports. Another element to this as well is betting. So a lot of this abuse comes from people who lost bets on games. Tennis is a very heavily betted on game, um, and it's people who lost money basically venting and not realising that, yes, there is actually a human being who is reading these messages that you're sending them. I think the most surprising thing about that is that people are betting on tennis. tennis. Yeah, people bet on anything, man. So this sounds Great, like using AI to help fight bullying, but how does it actually work? So it's a it's a system called Bodyguard. It's a piece of technology. It's quite an appropriate name, really. The developers say it is the first initiative of its kind. I understand you, you scan a QR code and it uses AI. The AI jumps into action and it filters out abusive comments on a big range of platforms. So it does Insta and TikTok and Twitter. And it can also moderate comments in real time. The developers reckon the responses are analysed in less than 200 milliseconds, which is very fast. That is very, very quick. So does it use like the words or the how does it judge what's abuse and what's not? 
So it all comes back to people, obviously. Mm. There's a team of linguists, language specialists, who have created word patterns and um, fed them into this AI. So the players basically scan the QR code at the tournament before checking out their social media. The linguists have programmed all of the algorithms and the magic, and then it does its thing and takes all of the nasty stuff out. So it's a really interesting idea. Um, We'll see how it goes. Hopefully it's successful because this is something that athletes across all sports have to deal with. It's not fair. They are doing this, you know, for our entertainment. And so anything that can help combat bullying in this area is is welcome from my point of view. Well said. I agree. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about that gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line no, there. That, I think Chris, that, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, that, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. That's, Nothing that's in there. That sits on. with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a strange, bizarre yarn for you. There are concerns that a Russian private military company may have some mysterious and as yet unknown interests in Aotearoa's backyard. Yeah, this is all about an organisation called the Wagner Group. Staff's reporter James Halpin's been looking into it and he joins us now to discuss. Hello. Hello, Emil. How are you? I am excellent, thank you. Can you please briefly explain to us what is the Wagner Group? Wagner is a private military company, a PNC, that's a privately owned army, cropped up in 2014. They were the Russians that took over the Crimean Peninsula uh, when when, uh, Russia first invaded. Uh And since then, they've been operating in Africa, um, propping up uh, governments as well as uh, operating as security workers. Um, And they have been integral to Russia's invasion of uh, Ukraine. They've been the main force in uh, Bakhmut, which is that city that, uh, that Russia has just, yeah. just taken. Okay. Um, what the hell? There are such things as private armies. Yeah, I know. You think it was gone in the past, but so did everybody think about European land wars, yeah. and, and they come back. It's owned by a guy called Yevgeny Prigozhin, uh-huh. known as Putin's chef. He's, a, he's an oligarch, and he came up with Putin. He's from St. Petersburg uh-huh. as well. And he came up owning a whole lot of food businesses. He uh, served Putin food at state banquets, but has then since tried to diversify, you <laughs> might call it, into other <laughs> And other boy, businesses. has he diversified. Yeah, yeah. You don't oh, think right. there's a big link between the food industry and uh, private armies? The private armies? There, is. there you go, yeah. Okay, so why are we talking about the Wagner Group in New Zealand? What is the connection here? Yeah, so just after they won in Bakhmut, Evgeny Perigozhin has been really active on social media. He did a video, an interview with a person, and just behind him on the wall in this sort of nondescript office was a, a world map. And all these little pins on the world map, which seemed to uh, indicate where Wagner was uh, operating. Little red pins for where they seemed to be, uh, have troops and were fighting in places like Mozambique and Sudan. And a whole lot of white pins in places around Africa, Africa, largely. Now, one of those white pins was completely rogue from Africa on the other side of the world in the little old Chatham Islands. The Chatham Islands! Wild! Absolutely wild. Now, there was no discussion in this interview about the context of that, why that pin was in the Chatham Islands. When I first saw it, I thought it was fake. Maybe it was a bit of blurring on the video that had happened or someone had altered an image and then posted it on uh, social media. But no, it was a pin in the Chatham Islands. And it's a complete mystery. What what are the working theories that you've come across and you're reporting on this? Uh, There's sort of two main theories. One is that 
they own some sort of asset in the Chatham Islands. I'm yet to prove what that is, but I think that's possibly the most logical thing. Possibly some some land or, or some sort of business mm-hmm. in the Chatham Islands. And I should be clear that there's no conclusive proof yet that they actually do have any business interests or otherwise in the Chatham Islands. The second one maybe uh, is a bit more likely, and that is uh, relating to the Cook Islands, which, as we all know, are thousands of kilometres away. But if you were uh, a Russian person on the other side of the world, maybe you would make that mistake. Now, the Cook Islands, what they do is they sell their flag to naval vessels around the world as a way of revenue generating. So if you own a boat, you can buy the Cook Islands flag and hoist it on your boat and then use it to sail around the world. As right, a and it user. looks like you're flying as a representative of the Cook Islands, but... Yeah, and, and you're, but you're not. You're, you're a private company and you get all the rights that come associated with being a, a flagged vessel of a nation. Right, okay. And so the theory in this case is that the Wagner Group actually might have done that and that they just mixed up the Cook Islands and the Chathams on a map. Completely, yeah. But again, no evidence, but there, there, there could be another explanation for why there is a pin in the little old Chathams. James Halpin, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Producer Jono, as is self-evident by your presence on this podcast, you are back. I am, with a vengeance. Um, but you were sick yesterday. I was. And <laughs> while you were sick, while you were sick, like any good sick person does, you found yourself browsing the Daily Mail. Clearly, my sickness had affected my brain and I was... I wandered into the depths of the internet and I found some very interesting things, Emil. Yes, you did. <laughs> it's actually not as dodgy as it sounds, surprisingly, though it is still pretty dodgy. Tell us what you found. I found that apparently there are four different types of handsomeness among the male population. Okay. I feel like this is the sort of content we need to analyse. <laughs> turn our journalistic, analytical skills to this. All right, take me through the different types of handsomeness then because they are all linked to things that people can picture in their mind's eye. It feels a little bit David Attenborough, this, Uh because they're all animals. So you've got eagle handsome. This is a man with strong features, a long nose, small eyes, maybe lighter hair and eyes. Mm -hmm. You have dog handsome, round face, dark hair and eyes, bear handsome, rounder face, broad shoulders, light hair and eyes. And then this is the one I find weird is reptilian handsome. Because all I can think of is Professor Snape. (laughs) But reptilian handsome is strong features, dark hair and eyes, and a straight nose. I looked this up on Twitter when you sent it to us, and someone actually came up with some templates, some famous person templates Mm. for this. So they say... Um, Eagle Handsome's equivalent is is Ryan Gosling. Yeah, strong features, long nose, light hair. The Bear Handsome is Henry Cavill. Yep, that's round of face, broad shoulders, old as Henry have broad shoulders. Light hair, he's got quite dark hair, but I think, you know... There's got to be some give and take, doesn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Dog Handsome, Heath Ledger was cited as this one. Oh yeah, round of face, dark hair and eyes. And then Reptile Handsome, Timothy Chalamet. 
Yeah, he looks like a snake. Yeah. Timothy Chalamet is a handsome man. Yeah. So reptile. I mean, doesn't... he's no Henry Cavill. Okay, so we're objectifying men now according to what their animal kingdom equivalents are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, analyzing you from my perspective. Oh, this could go so many ways. I think you're a mixture of bear and dog. So like, then... I've been called worse, I won't <laughs> lie. I, I'm interested in what listener conceptions of what you physically are like might be. Because we've never actually put up a social video of me participating in this pod. No. So I'm merely a faceless voice yeah, okay. to everyone out there. M- maybe we'll put some pics on the Instagram and, and people can say what they think we mm. are. I think I'm probably reptile slash... Oh, you're totally a reptile. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners will be glad to hear that there is some semblance of egalitarianism here because there are also apparently four different types of looks in women. Fox pretty... Is mm-hmm. the first one. Um, lighter hair, dark or light eyes, longer face and sharp features. Cat pretty, darker hair, light eyes, rounder face, sharp features. Deer pretty, which is darker hair, dark eyes, longer face and soft features. And bunny pretty, which is lighter hair, dark or light eyes, round face and soft facial features. Maybe we'll put my picture up on the Instagram and you can tell us which, t- if any, type of handsome I am. Um, and also tell us what type of handsome you think you are. If you like, just head to our Instagram page. That is at NewsballNZ. But that is the show for today. I'm Emil Donovan. And I'm Jono Williams. If you enjoyed this episode, please do follow us on your favourite podcast player. Leave us a rating and a review. It helps other listeners to discover the show. And we just really appreciate it. You can also follow us on social media to stay up to date on all of our new episodes. Get some behind-the-scenes content. Work out if Emil is handsome or not. And you can find us on Insta, TikTok, just by searching NewsableNZ. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and we'll catch you tomorrow. Newsable. News that's worth talking about. If you liked it and reckon it's also worth supporting, please make a contribution at stuff.co.nz support.